The first step in getting closer to God is to realize that you need to or that you want to. And the second step in getting closer to God is to realize that it's possible. I want to encourage you to check out my book, Getting Closer to God, Anthologies from the Forefront Trilogy, Book 2. I think this will really be helpful to you in your pursuit of the Lord and help you understand what I learned over the first 30 plus years of my life as a believer, as a minister, and as a missionary in uh, a lot of the countries of the earth. Check it out. Anthologies from the Forefront, Book 2, Getting Closer to God. It's on Amazon. Hey guys, Scott here. From the Forefront, interesting name for a podcast, and I say it's apropos for our, our guest coming up. Jan Waldron is at the Forefront working among the climber community in northern Mexico. And there's a ton of people that are coming in and out of that community, in and out of that climbing environment. One of the world-class top 10 locations to climb if you're into rock climbing in the world. She's talking to us about her story, about her ministry there at Coffee Shop Outreach, some of the things that have happened to her good, and also some of the things that have happened not so pleasant. She's quite an overcomer, and I thank Jan for her friendship over more than a decade. I think you'll enjoy this upcoming edition of From the Forefront. Welcome to From the Forefront, an FX Missions podcast with your host, Scott McClelland. Far and wide, and sometimes here at home, these bold and courageous souls that answer the call to missions have a steely metal that insists pioneering be part of their daily routine. Let's gather today and learn from those on the forefront. Here's Scott. Hi, Scott McClellan here for your FX Missions from the Forefront podcast. Thanks for being here. Super excited today to be with an old friend. Is that the right way to say it, Jan? Sure, yeah. (laughs) 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 Not that old, but you know. (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 no. Jan Waldron, as you're hearing here, thanks for being here, Jan. I really appreciate it. And I think, I don't know how to correct it. I'm already in the mess here. I'm older than you. Are you? And we've been friends a while. Yeah, we have been friends a while. That's what I meant. (laughs) Uh (laughs) But I don't think you're older than me. At least I'm a grandparent. Yes. Well, (laughs) some of us are yet waiting. (laughs) We continue to wait if my daughter, oldest daughter, the one who's married, hears this. No pressure. No pressure, <laughs> no pressure hon. No. no pressure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but I think we're generally the same age. And, and, of course, we've known each other, I think, maybe a while. It's been about yeah. 12 years. Wow. You've got a clear mind. <laughs> Not bad for an old lady, right? <laughs> Hey, all right. It all runs together in my head after all these trips I've been on, all these places I've been to. I can never pick out one. I I just, I know it happened in Mexico. I know it happened in Central America. I know it happened in Africa or Asia or somewhere, but I don't know which one. Yeah, I get you. Yes. Well, I'm excited to have you on here. Thank you for being willing. First of all, I want to say you've got a podcast of your own, and I want to encourage folks to check that out. I do. It's called Tales from El Buo. Buo is B-U-H-O. And that's the coffee uh-huh. shop I'm part of down here in northern Mexico. Northern Mexico, El Buo. You know, the H always throws us English speakers. We always want to make a noise with it. But what is El Buo? What's the significance? What does that mean? Okay, El Buo means owl. And I am part of a Christian nonprofit coffee shop here in Nuevo Leon is the state, Mexico. And the shop has been in existence. We're going on our 11th year. Wow. And that's how I remember when I met you because it was right before that came out. And okay, the, yes. the name came from um, in Isaiah 42 where it says the owls and the jackals will drink in the desert 
And it's a pretty long passage. And then it talks about all the nations Mm -hmm. will see your glory and will praise your name. And we are in the desert. And so (laughs) it just kind of worked out to be the owl or el búho. The owl. And, And it's cool for logos, too. It really is. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And specific to your context, you know, again, you have been on the foreign field for, you know, much more than me and for longer as well. But I think doesn't bull have some significance in Mexican culture? What, what, do, what do people think about when they think about owls? Well, actually, that's a little bit controversial here because in Ooh. Mexican culture, a lot of people believe that owls are witches. No, seriously. Yeah, they really do. And obviously, we did not know that when the shop was named after owls. Uh, so we've reclaimed hey. that for the Lord, you know, the yes, scripture. Yes, and yes, and yes. we're just like, we don't believe owls be, are witches. No, <laughs> so, no. But that has been a little controversial, you know, here in the Christian Mexican community with some people. Yeah. Like, why did you name it after witches? <laughs> <laughs> Well, owls were part of creation from what I remember. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, at least you didn't call it black cat coffee. Or <laughs> would it be similar to that, you think? Like I a think black so. cat would. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, we had no idea. And that was, but I mean, if felt like the people that started the shop, it was Gina, the wife, and she was out jogging mm-hmm. and she saw an owl in the canyon when she was out jogging and they had been praying about the name. And so it just kind of all came together. We had the scripture and okay, so there's the name and feeling like it was from the Lord. So then yeah. you get, you know, a little bit of a rebuke from some more traditional Mexican pastors, but they got over it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's been more than a decade ago now. You guys are are soldiering on there. And you guys have a ministry to climbers. That's right. It's kind of an outreach, right? And not to mention world-class coffee and all of that. But Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit, unpack it a little bit for us. What is the kind of the overarching goal and expression of what you guys are doing there? Awesome. I'm so glad you asked because I love the ministry that I get to be a part of, you know, and kind of help run and and propel forward. So the Buol Cafe is located in the town of Hidalgo, which is sitting at the bottom of this fantastic rock climbing mountain called El Potrero Chico. And it has like the longest big wall things in the area, you know, for rock climbing, for sport climbing mainly. Mm. And people come from all over the world from like October to April, maybe May to rock climb. And we get the opportunity to host these rock climbers in our coffee shop and share about Jesus with those who would like to talk about Jesus. So we have the one fold is where we're able to share, you know, who we are, what we're about. All my baristas are volunteer missionaries. They come for six months and they just love people and love climbing and really get to share what we're about and have Bible studies and we do events and all kinds of stuff to, I guess, you know, sow seeds uh, in the lives of the climbers and sometimes water seeds and sometimes Mm. actually get to see them bear fruit as well. And so that's one side of the coffee shop. The other side is we are nonprofit. So all the profits from the coffee shop have gone to build a middle school here in the community where there was no school. And the school opened last year. Wow. But COVID. So it was completely built and ready to go, but we couldn't have any students. We had eight students. It's a middle school. It can hold 75, but we had eight and it was all online. Mm. But the coffee shop was able to pay the principal's salary full time last year. Oh, wonderful. yeah. Where our goal is not just wasn't just to build it and then like, OK, God bless you guys. You're on your own, you know, but to help sustain it until it gets on its feet. So right. I imagine it's going to be another 10 years before it's able to get on its feet, mm-hmm. take care of itself. We've got a plan. So this upcoming year as well, we're going to pay 100 percent of the principal's salary. And we also bring climbers out to the school 
and we do events. There's a soup kitchen out there, you know, like it's a very, very poor community. So we bring climbers, like non-Christian climbers mm-hmm. out there and they've helped us build, like they dug the trenches and the footers. They help put the roof on. It's awesome. Like wow. bringing out 25 rock climbers wow. that never, and they tell me, you know, we're so selfish. Our life is so selfish. We travel around the world and live in our vans and all our money's for ourselves. And like to do something like that one day out of their vacation or their time here really touches them. And it gives us a chance to spend some time, you know, shoulder to shoulder in the trenches with them as well. And it's been a great 10 years watching it grow. Now my title is community development manager and project manager. So I'm the bridge between the coffee shop and the community Mm. because I've been here 15 years. So I know everybody that I know what needs to be done to get community involvement happening. Wow. There's just a hundred directions we could go right there because there's so much. Yeah. And I think it's really cool too, that you, you got a background in education. Obviously, you know, I I know you're a teacher you got background there. You've done that as a part of your ongoing mission since you left the United States, kind of in full-time service as a missionary. When was that, Jan? When did you leave? What year? We left in June of 2003 and moved from Concord, North Carolina to Mazatepe, Nicaragua. Oh. Yeah, you know Mazatepe. And I was a teacher at the school there in Masatepe, which was a church-based school. We were there for three years, and then we moved here to Mexico. The reason we moved to Mexico is my husband at the time, my ex-husband, he was a Bible teacher, and he was asked to come to Mexico to train Mexicans who wanted to be pastors and missionaries. And so we moved, we made the move here and mm-hmm. I, I was homeschooling yeah. some kids. I had, we have three sons and I was homeschooling them and also teaching in the local school here. And so I, I actually still am teaching. And yeah. this year is my first year. I just changed to the new school that we helped build. So I'm seriously, yeah, it's so cool. So I'm teaching English. Very cool. We have 14 students this year, and I'm the English teacher out there. Oh, that is wonderful. That's kind of a full circle aspect of what's going on, feels like. It really is. It's really cool. It wasn't in my plan at all because the school I was teaching at is literally 100 steps from my front door, and now I have to get in my car and drive to the other school. I don't care. I mean, it's, it's really neat to watch, like, the school take formation and be able to be a part of that helping it grow. And it is a selling point for the school to have a native English speaker as their English teacher. So I know I'm helping them in that way too. Very, very true. Yes. We all know what it's like to encounter people who learn Spanish from (laughs) non-Spanish speaker. (laughs) Kind of flip it around there a little bit, but you know, that is unique comedy to me as a person who has learned what little Spanish I have compared to you, of course, uh, I've learned that, you know, with what would you call in immersion, right right in the context where it was being spoken from people who speaks Spanish. And then we get these people who are supposed to have four years of Spanish under their belt and they can't navigate their way. Right. It's a, they don't know how it sounds. Right. We don't teach people how it sounds. Come on, guys. No, and then every country you go to has got a different accent. And I liken Nicaragua Spanish to kind of West Virginia, Kentucky accent in Spanish. You know, it's it's kind of hard for some people to understand, <laughs> in, you know, that speak English when they go to that yeah. part of the our country. And, yeah, I'm not knocking on right. Nicaragua at yeah. all. It's just their accent's really different. Right. They swallow their S's, as For I sure. recall. Yeah. And uh, among other things that we don't have to unpack <laughs> here. <laughs> anyway, obviously, we've been in and around Nicaragua. Love, love, love yes. Nicaragua. And I actually met up you guys for the first time in the States, but you were at the time fairly recently arriving or more recently arriving than now to Mexico. We met up in the Carolinas. I came by to see you, hung out some, 
And then you guys said, hey, this is going on Nicaragua. Kind of inspired me to get started in Nicaragua after my first trip there in 06. Went back in 2010, did some young leader stuff there at the time, which continued for eight episodes annually. that's so great. That That was you guys. I remember it over the... Eskimo enchiladas or whatever that was called. <laughs> oh, tostadas, the tostadas Siberias. Yes, at my house. <laughs> oh my yes. gosh. That was, that was, I think, the beginning of that conversation. You know, sorry, I got the reference wrong, but the cold <laughs> was enough to locate it, right? Siberia, yeah. Eskimo, you know, whatever. But what's funny too is that trip was for you. You came and you brought John Mackey, who ended up being instrumental in the starting of the coffee shop. So, you know, you got the way that we encouraged each other to move into different aspects of our ministries happened right there at my Mm. kitchen bar with Tostada Siberias. I remember it well. I really do. And that was a key trip, I think, in terms of some formation of what each of us and our teams would continue to do from there. Very thankful for it and appreciate it very much. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about climbing culture. All right. (laughs) Now, I'm an outsider. I got to say that. So, I mean, no outsider knows it well. You've been up really close to climbing culture, but I have a few friends who who are climbers or ones that really you can tell they would like to be climbers. They climb but they want to be climbers. Yes. You know what I mean? What's the difference between someone who climbs and a climber? Oh, well, I mean, I would consider myself someone who climbs, but not a climber for sure. It's an identity. Right. It's a, that's your tribe. You're a, gosh, that's a really hard question to answer, but it's like somebody that plays <laughs> an instrument or is a musician, you know, it's, is that their mm, identity? Okay. Is that how they identify yeah. it? And, and the climbers, that come through here are usually a little more dedicated to the sport because they're spending enough money to come to a foreign country to take time and mm-hmm. explore this place. Yeah. yeah. Months, Sometimes. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so it is their identity. Yeah. A lot of them live in vans or hammocks or cars and they live for climbing. They really do. They don't live for making money. So what they'll do is they will go like to California and work at the weed farms for three or four months and they camp or live in their car at the weed farms and make tons of money. And then when they've got enough saved, because they do actually budget, then they come here and they turn their dollars into pesos and they live really cheaply here. A lot of them are vegetarian, but not all of them. So even more, you know, if they're not buying meat, but they just, you know, stay here until they are about to run out of money. Then they go back to California or other places. I mean, not always California, but there are very few of them that have a full-time career job. I can only think of one (laughs) actually that he comes down here and and he's an IT specialist and he works Monday to Friday, nine to five out of his van you know, he's got his whole internet set up and everything. And then when he, he's yeah. in uh, Moab, I believe, when he's not here. So he's like six months in Moab and six months here. Oh. And he told me last season that he he's 42. He thinks by the time he's 48 or 49, he'll be able to retire and buy a house. And, and climb. Yeah. Yeah. If he wants to. I mean, he has an amazing van. I, I might be wrong. He's not 42. He's in his 30s. But anyway, you know, his life is not conducive to a long-term relationship, wife, kids, things like that, because it's Mm -hmm. kind of hard to find someone that would want to live like that with you. But he's happy because he's got the climbing community. And when he's in Moab, he's got his community. And then when he's here, he has, I think this will be his fifth season coming back. So Very cool. Yeah. So the climbers are, it, it was a shock to me, Scott, because... I became a Christian when I was 14, grew up in youth group and pretty much the Christian bubble of, you know, ministry, church, everything, and hadn't really been around that lifestyle of 
well, a lot of people haven't been around climber lifestyles, but, you know, just real free spirited yeah. and wide open, like wide open to everything, not just, yeah. and yeah. a lot of drugs. Well, a lot of pot, I should say, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know how to handle it at first. And I also thought they wouldn't like me because I was so hmm. like, first of all, I'm older and I'm not really a climber, but I have found that they love me. They've actually taught me to love in some ways yeah. that unfortunately I wish I had learned in the church, but I'm not blaming the church. I'm just saying I didn't learn this. And then I've been loved yeah. and accepted in ways that I didn't expect, which has been really good for me because it's taught me to love on a more wow. deeper yeah. level with a lot of different kinds of people and not be afraid of, I think, you yeah. know, in the church, we, uh, for a long time, especially my generation of Christianity, we were, I was taught like you're in the world or of the world, you know, you don't want to be of the world. You just want to be in the world. Yeah, yeah, And right. I kind of had this unspoken belief that people that weren't believers were the enemy I'm not mm-hmm. saying anybody ever came out and taught me that, but that's just kind of what I absorbed in teachings. And I have learned yeah. yep. to lay that way down and just go, we're all at a different spot in our journeys of getting to know what I hope is getting to know who God is, who Jesus is. And so yeah. they're not my yeah. enemies. They're just in a different part of their journey. And if I can at all share who Jesus is and what he's done and how awesome it is to follow him and want to be like him, then I just love it because instead I'm not going, oh, you're, you're not saved. Like the whole unsaved, saved thing. I just feel like I learned a lot when I started this ministry of just seeing people differently. Yeah. That's encouraging. I've been around some of the climbers course. I've been around some when I, came to visit you guys enough to get a vibe, yeah. you know, that is climber culture. And it's a thing for sure. I mean, I learned what dirt bagging yeah. was. I think that's what your dirt bagging is a term. If you haven't heard it before, I know you have, but if, if someone's listening who hasn't heard dirt bagging is like the lifestyle that you're describing. You basically are, you know, saving up and then you're dirt bagging, yep. right? You're, you're living out of the fill in the blank hammock, car, van, tree, whatever. You're living out of some context that gives you proximity and opportunity to climb. And then you take it as long as you can. And then you have a reset and you start over, you do it again. That's pretty interesting, you know, very unique. And I think it has some cultural, there's some cultural moorings to that, to that lifestyle that, that are fixed. You know, I mean, you just, it's a thing. <laughs> Even if we don't know much about it, some of us, me. Well, I didn't either, but as especially once I started the podcast and started interviewing these guys and I would ask them and, and girls, I would ask them, you know, what's their budget and how do they make money and what are their dreams and hopes for the future and things like that. And it is so interesting to hear like how they became that way, <laughs> what their family thinks about it. and what uh-huh. their dreams and hopes are for the future because most of these people are in their 20s. So it's pretty mm-hmm. rare to find someone in their at least mid-30s and up. It's pretty rare to find. But there right. are some, yeah. but they're like old grizzled climbers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, and let's talk for a second, if we can, about Portrero Chico. Okay. and. Simply because, I mean, I remember that I was in absolute awe of the environment, had no idea that was there, for one, not too far south of the U.S.-Mexico border. I'd say a couple of hours, right, from Laredo. Yeah, we're like two and a half hours from Laredo. I don't know what that is. Is it limestone? Is that those formations? It is limestone. Okay. Yep. Yeah, sure is. limestone shafts that jut out of the earth, what feels like a thousand feet. It just comes up out of nowhere and just is arresting in its beauty. It's a world-class destination. I mean, it's in top 10 in the world, maybe, in that yes, range? Yes, it sure is. Yeah. That, 
is cool. And I don't know if you saw the movie um, Free Solo that won an Oscar like last year, the year before, put out by, I think, okay. National Geographic. Anyway, the guy, Alex Hunold, who was the main car- main person in that movie, he free soloed uh-huh. at Yosemite a route, El Cap, that is just an amazing route. Free solo means no ropes, no harness, no safety equipment. Well, if you right. Google or if you go to YouTube and look him up, Alex Honold, he actually did a route here about seven or eight years ago, if I'm not mistaken, and kind of put Petro Chico on the map with a lot of climbers. And mm. yeah, it actually was one of, I think it is the most difficult route that has ever been free soloed by him. And obviously the one in Yosemite was more popular wow. because it's, Yosemite and also it was made into a major film mm-hmm. but there is a YouTube yeah. video sponsored by North Base where he did it here and just anybody look up El Potrero Chico and it is stunning I never get tired of the view I drive into town I look at it every single day I'm just like blown away by the beauty of it yeah it, it's in such contrast to its environment around it too you know i mean monterey there's some pretty decent mountains around monterey it's it's pretty i mean there's there's an interesting range there and everything but this portrero chico is like something else it's totally like it really something is. else and so beautiful so beautiful we were fortunate enough to have a a brotherhood meeting down yes you were i forgot and, about uh, that i just remember everybody yeah all minds were equals blown yes we were just we were blown away it's a beautiful place and i think that that's got to be attractive to a lot of folks you know a lot of the people who are coming there are coming from mm-hmm. europe you know they're coming from different parts of north and south america and you get a real mixture of belief i would speculate i, I think you probably get a mixture of all sorts of backgrounds and some basically with no spiritual background does something come to mind and and by the way jan i'm pretty sure somebody's listening to us that needs to come intern with you guys they just don't know it yet so we want to make sure at the end to include those details but does a story come to mind about maybe something that has happened there obviously many probably come to mind But what comes to mind when we talk about the spiritual backgrounds that climbers bring with them when they come? And is there a story there that you'd want to articulate specifically about someone? You don't have to mention names, but I think you're probably, you guys. I do actually, right? I have several. I mean, I have so many stories because I've been here for a while, but there were these three guys that came from Canada and they are river rafting guides up in Canada in the summers in Canada. Mm. And yeah. every winter they just kind of decide where they want to go, you know, because it's cold in Canada and they can't work. Sometimes they go and they're ski, ski lift operators or whatever, ski patrol. But this one year, these three guys decided to come here to Mexico. None of them had ever really climbed before, but they started YouTube videoing and checking things out. And they decided to come for six months and learn to rock climb and They actually rented an apartment from our coffee shop and they lived basically on our back porch in an apartment. And so our shop was their living room. That's where they hung out. They had Wi-Fi and everything. And we got really close to these guys. They had never known a Christian. The three of them had never been to church. They'd never known Christians before. And one of my staff... They were Canadian. I know. You would think that they would have heard it, but they had never heard they said they did not know any Christians. And that is a surprising, but we better pay attention kind of surprising. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I know they're not coming yeah. from like Iceland or something. They, they were literally right north of, of the neighbors to the north, you mm-hmm. know. And so yeah. one of our staff decided that she wanted to get baptized while she was here. And her brother was the manager of the shop at the time. So we decided to do a baptism and we invited the three guys to come with us to these hot springs and we're going to have a make a day of it and baptize her at the same time. 
So the night before the baptism, we walk into the living room shop area and they are watching YouTube videos of baptisms because they've never seen a baptism and they don't even know what to expect. The three of them, they're kind of nervous about it. And of course, they went down the rabbit hole of baptisms gone wrong and people getting electrocuted and stuff, but, but they got the gist of a baptism. Uh So (laughs) the next day we go to the hot springs and it's like seven Christians and then three, these three guys. And the brother that was doing the baptism just shared a real like brief thing of this is what baptism means. Dunked his sister, you know, comes up in the name of the Father, Holy Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And the three of them just started cheering, like clapping and screaming. Wow, that was awesome. That was awesome. Thank you for inviting us to be part of this thing. And for those of us who have been in church for a while, I mean, yeah, it's exciting when someone gets baptized, but like it's so common. And for them, it was the coolest thing ever. And that was a really neat experience to watch it through the eyes of like kids, but they were grown men, you know, see it through their eyes. So unfamiliar with what was going on. Yeah. There's something about that that's touching. And I'm not going to cry, Jan, (laughs) during this time. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't think I will. I'll try not, but that that's touching. It touches me, you know, and its simplicity and its beauty. That's what I feel so privileged to be a part of is seeing things through the eyes of people who have never, ever heard the gospel or known Christians. And, you know, the conversations mm-hmm. that come up, like actually one of those guys came back for two or three seasons in a row. And I think the last season he was here, he was going through a, just a really terrible family time. His family in Canada was going through some stuff and we spent a lot of time with Mm -hmm. him. He came and spent the night with like my guys and my staff. And, and one day, Mm -hmm. I don't remember how it came up, but I told him the story of the prodigal son. And he said, is that what they mean when they say, you know, the prodigal son has come home, you know, the regular saying. And I said, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's exactly where it's from. And he was like, oh man, that's a cool story. And the next day he went to church with us and sure enough, the pastor spoke about the prodigal son and he was like, Jan, I feel so good because I actually understood what he was saying. I understood the whole message because you told me the day before. And we saw that over and over and over again, just little Bible stories where these guys know nothing. They've never heard anything, yeah. you know. So yeah. those guys come to mind. And then a lot of prodigals come through the area. And yeah. wow, that is really moving as well, you know, to be a part of hopefully restoring some things in their lives. For sure, one guy I can think of, he's definitely come back home. Yeah. Yes. I'm so thankful. And I'm I'm not going to cry, Jen. (laughs) If you think you hear tears, it's not what it is. Uh Uh-huh. It's okay. You're just cutting. Someone's Uh, cutting onions in the house, right? Yeah. As long as I can keep talking, that might be the trouble. But One of our really failings, I think, as believers is how insular we become. We insulate ourselves, you know, from the world around us, from other people's lives and stories. And it kind of throws back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, in the world and not of it. Don't even look over there. You know, this kind of like idea that we're going to get unclean somehow by being close to someone who is unclean, you know, and you think about the leper, yeah, you know, and Jesus's ministry to the lepers and, and those kind of things. I mean, I think we sadly get a feeling that somehow our status as believers is going to be diminished if we are come in contact with people who aren't believers. And that makes us cowards. Yeah when it comes to reach, reaching out to people who are different than us. I want to applaud your courage and the courage of your team and the courage of your, your mission there, because you can't remain insulated and be in a rather climber community. You know what I'm saying? You can't like not be exposed to whatever's going on in those people's lives. And that is a wide variety of things. So, yeah. you know, 
the fact that you guys have taken that challenge and you continue it after a decade here with all the things that come with it, I appreciate what you're doing and it's valuable. And I appreciate your courage, even though you had to listen to people talk about the owl like that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the least of your troubles, I'm sure. So much so. (laughs) I know you've been through some pushback. Yeah. You've been through a little pushback. Some of it I'm familiar. I just appreciate everything that you guys are doing. And I think we've got to take to heart the necessity of getting close, right? Elbow to elbow with folks who are different from us, who believe things that we don't believe, who don't believe things that we believe, and who have nothing in common with us, except we're both, you know, born from God. You know, we're, we're both, we share our humanity is what I'm saying. We are image bearers. Yeah. We can have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus in a very up close and personal way that will not be accomplished by other means. I think we've sacrificed our witness trying to keep ourselves yeah, clean. I agree completely. And I also think that it it has helped me a lot to trust the Holy Spirit in that he's a much better Holy Spirit than I am in bringing conviction. It's not my job <laughs> to convict of sin. It's not my job to right all the wrongs. My job is to love them. And I, that's not hard, Scott. Once you get into it and really hear their stories and and get to know people, it's not hard. Well, some people are hard to love just because they're abrasive or whatever. But, you know, I mean, for the most part, it's not hard Mm -hmm. to love someone. It's not hard. It's, It's when I feel like I have to make things right in their life. That's when it gets tricky. Because I don't have to solve their problems. That's not my job. My job is to love them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that clarity. You know, I think when we're getting, we get out on the jagged edge of exchange gunfire, you know what I mean? We get some clarity, uh, clarity of heart and mind. And I appreciate your clarity in that respect. I want to be clear and not misunderstood. I'm not saying that we should give up our holiness in the pursuit of people who are, you know, unbelievers. We should maintain our personal constitution in the face of whoever we're encountering. But at the same time, not look at those other people from a superiority point of view. That will arrest any chemistry of goodwill (laughs) immediately, you know, like it's gone. You think you're better than me. We're not better. For sure. We're not better. I'm not better. Yeah. And thank God Mm -hmm. for his grace. Yes. I'm not going to get choked up here. Okay. Jan, we've got about 10 minutes left. Again, thank you very much for being here. I want to get into just anything else to make sure uh, to cover what you got on your list. I know you're a list person. I don't have a list. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not really. I've been around climbers too much. <laughs> I don't have a okay, list. Okay, yeah, you know, your list went up. Went up. Yeah, I want to open the envelope here just to touch. And I know that there are people listening who are thinking about getting into missions. They're, they're in missions or they're thinking about how to get out of it, you know. Yeah. There's, it's such a wasteland, sadly. Uh, for so many, and we all face our difficulties. We all face our challenges. I know you've been through some challenging, as we all are, through some challenging uh, times. What can you share? You're going to get the overcomer badge. I feel confident. (laughs) (laughs) I'm confident. Keep going, Jan. You are going to get the overcomer badge because you've already You've already done a good bit of that. What would you like to say about your time, quite nearly two decades in missions outside and away from your home context? What can you share with us about that that you think might be worth other people's consideration and that would help them? Yeah, I um, thanks, by the way, for 
all of what you just said about Overcomer and everything. I, I'm just putting one foot in front of the other and coming out of a really dark time in my ministry and my personal life, which you know somewhat of, but the listeners don't. Three years ago, mm-hmm. you know, it came to light that my husband at the time was involved in extramarital affairs, didn't believe in God anymore, you know, and here we were missionaries and he was leading a ministry and everything. And uh, so he left two years ago. So that year mm-hmm. where I kind of knew things were going on, but was fighting for my life, you know, my marriage and my ministry was a horrible year. And two years ago, he left and moved back to the States. So I'm here and I was kind of not really sure what to do. A year of really wondering what to do. I own a house here. It's my house in my name. And I had this really successful ministry, quote unquote successful. I mean, I was just moving on, you know, fruit bearing ministry, I should say. And yeah. Talked to all my supporters, my churches, and they all said, stay. You didn't do anything wrong. And I felt, you know, as that whole one flesh thing for a while, I think I felt I took on some guilt of the things that he had done and shame, feeling like it was me, but it really wasn't. It just, I appropriated yeah. that for myself. Mm-hmm. Our divorce was finalized in June of 2020. Thanks great year of 2020. And I was in the States for four months with COVID. Not, I didn't have COVID, but with COVID stopping everything Mm -hmm. in the world, I was able to go back to the States and spend some time with my family and spend some time just getting some healing and came back to Mexico in August of 2020 and have been moving forward. Some days is putting my foot just like one toe in front of another in other days. It's just, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm making strides. I feel like uh, last yeah. week was two years, was, was it like a pretty significant day for me of two years exactly yeah. since I found out all the details of everything that had happened. And I felt like it was an end of that season of, you know, in Ecclesiastes, the time for mourning, the time for joy, the time for weeping, all that. I felt like it was a closure to a season and an opening of a new season. But I don't know what that is exactly, except that I feel more free to talk about it and to say, you know, man, like I was wounded, you know, broken, but the pieces are coming back together. And I'm stronger than I ever thought I was because even when I doubted God, he was with me, you know, and so it was really hard to be on the mission field and go through all of that. And I'm supposed to be talking about the goodness of God. And I didn't at that point see that God was very good. You know, I didn't feel protected by him. I didn't feel I did everything right in the formula of what a Christian wife, mom, companion, everything should do. And yet it wasn't, it didn't work out, you know, but at the time I blamed God. And so it was really, it was a really rough time, but I can say this, that coming through it, I'm on the other side, uh, still have some questions, big questions, you know, for God, but I'm I'm okay with that. Like I'm at peace with having questions. And the one thing I've never doubted is threw away a lot of doubts or a lot of things in my faith at that point, but I never doubted Jesus ever. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, you know, all, all missionaries, we, we do have those dark night of the souls and dark yeah. nights of the soul, I should say. And mm-hmm. what you do with that really depends on you and decisions that you make. But I think that the most important thing is having a network of people that are not supporters that have no like stake in the game as far as your ministry goes, you know, like not elders in your church or whatever, just good friends that can speak the truth to you and that you can speak the truth to and say, man, like this sucks. I don't even know if I believe in God at this point, you know, and I I actually Mm -hmm. had two really good friends. I have two really good friends that walk through the same situation as me, but there were a couple years ahead of me. And Mm. I am so thankful for them because I was afraid, Scott, to go to like my pastor and say, this is happening because, well, you're going to have to come off the mission field or we're not going to pay you anymore. And you're kind of trapped in like fear of how's my family going to eat? How are we going to pay our bills? So I'm just going to stay quiet. And I know that's not the heart of people, the majority of people for me or for the missionaries, but 
there are people, missions boards and stuff that kind of watch over you, but they're also having to watch over the investments of their church. I get it. So I would suggest, you know, really having those people in place in your life that you can talk to when you're in those dark nights, because I felt very alone until I finally had the courage to speak to these friends. And it took a lot of courage to even vocalize it because there was a lot of shame in what he was doing, but also in shame in just what I was feeling and believing, you know, and if it hadn't been for them and good therapy and uh, just able to go to keep plugging along and it helps me to have those friends that I can say, man, I'm really struggling with this, you know, and they're not going, yeah. oh, you better not tell anybody because you're going to lose your support. You know, it just, mm-hmm. yeah. you need people in your life like that, that have no stake in the game in your ministry. They're just concerned about you as a person. Mm. Yeah. Yes. I wish I would have like, mm, not been so blinded for a while about that, but I don't know. I don't, you know, I can't go back and say why. I just am glad that I finally had those people set in my life. And now I've got those people in my life, you know, and I feel safer and more secure in being able to tell them when I'm struggling with things or when I'm just angry. And also honesty with God has been a really good thing that I've walked through being really, Mm -hmm. really brutally honest with him. And it's crazy because Unfortunately, a lot of climbers have walked through this with me because they have been part of my life for years, you know, and they keep coming back. And I didn't do anything for my glory at all. I would just keep moving forward. But God is getting glory out of it. And that is Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. You know, I I don't understand it, but he is being glorified in it. Because I was worried about like our witness or, oh, what are these climbers Mm going to think? Just another, you know, hypocrite, you know, how they say about church. But instead of focusing on the hypocrisy, they've loved me and walked with me. And so that's been really interesting. (laughs) Not what I expected, (laughs) not at all. But I would say, you know, as a missionary, 18 years on the field and, walk through some really crappy stuff and horrible, horrible, this by by far is crappy, even if you live in the States and you aren't on the mission bill, but just the vulnerability of being in another country and alone. It's been really brutal, but at the same time, I have found strength in, Mm. you know, really understanding that when I am weak is when I'm strong and, I see mm. God's strength in my weakness for sure. It's like I'm confounded by the mysteries of God a lot of times, like how he chooses to work in the midst of our just crappy, you know, lives. Yeah. <laughs> you just, yeah. there's like this little yeah. light that shines through and people see it. And so now I'm excited about like this upcoming season. Cause I feel like I'm stronger and these people are still coming back, you know, and to yes. be able to, yeah encourage them through that and through their dark times. And I encourage anybody that's on the mission field or, or thinking about it to know it's, it's not just because you're doing everything that you're supposed to doesn't mean it's going to go easy for you. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) I wish, I wish the formula worked, but we are living in a fallen world with people that make, make choices and their choices affect us. Unfortunately. They do that. Thank God for his grace as yeah. well, both to the both. I mean, I, I think as a kind of a step back, God is bigger than all of the stuff that anybody ever did. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Jesus, he took that shame that you're talking about feeling kind of like survivor guilt or something almost. You know, you had some kind of association yeah. thing with somebody else's thing, which is. God's grace is bigger than that. And it's durable. I think we back to our, some of our earlier comments, we are afraid God's grace is going to be fragile. Yes. I think we learned that God's grace is very durable and is persistent when we think it would withdraw. I know that some of the weakest and most sort of 
wayward times of my life have been times when I was surprised by God's grace, that he, he didn't withdraw his grace based on whatever was happening. And I, I'm so thankful for knowing that and for that being true <laughs> and for experiencing that, you know, and for being a result of that. I feel like my life is for sure. Jan, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. If folks want to reach out to you or to the ministry there, even if they want to visit the dog who's coming up to check in with you. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. There's Here we are. We're in, we're living. Don't worry. Yeah. We're just out here living. <laughs> Tell me how can they how can someone reach you or or find out more? Well, uh, the best way to reach out to me is on Facebook as Jam Waldron or El Buo Cafe. Uh-huh. And we have Facebook, we have Instagram, El Buo Cafe Mexico. Okay. And that's the best way to reach out to us. And we do have, you know, this year I have nine staff members. So we're covered for this uh-huh. season. But staff comes from October, well, late September till about late March, early April. And they raise their own support. And they serve coffee and they rock climb. And they get to be involved in all kinds of really cool things. And yes, please if that's something that someone's interested in participating in or supporting, come on down, you know, and we yeah, love visitors too. Absolutely, Love visitors. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, a little more than a decade ago, I became aware of that from the Siberian enchiladas. Yes, <laughs> I got to say, absolutely. If someone wants to check out your podcast, yeah, Tales from El Buo, where I'm on everything, Spotify, Google, Apple, everything. Okay, Tales from El Buo. That's right. And I'm about, uh, season about two opener is October 15th. So I've got nine podcasts Great. out from season one. And there are a lot of dirtbag okay. climbers, so you can learn about dirtbag life there. Yes, dirtbag lifestyle. That's you right. I'm <laughs> more aware of all the terminology and the things that move the culture around. Jan, thank you so much for being here. Blessings to you. And I hope to see you before yes. long. I haven't been to Monterey in a touch. Well, hey, come on down, Scott. <laughs> yep. I'd love to. I'd love to. Hopefully soon. I've got folks around there that I need to see you guys and, and others as well. Many blessings to you, Jan. Thank you, Scott. All right. I am Scott McClellan. This is your FX Missions from the Forefront Podcast. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. You've been listening to From the Forefront, hosted by FX Missions' Scott McClelland. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like more information on today's guest, please go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fxmissions. Please rate our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. If you know someone who should be a guest on our podcast, we're currently reviewing candidates for upcoming episodes. Please submit their name, affiliation, and an essay of why their story needs to be told to info at fxmissions.com. And of course, you can always follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website at fxmissions.com. From Scott McClelland and the whole team here at FX Missions, thanks for listening. Till next time, have a great day.